The subject of this evening's talk is the love of the practice. If the mind is conditioned in the way which we are familiar with and responds in fairly familiar and conditioned ways and also has little feeling for spirituality, one rather frankly must rather draw the conclusion, I feel, that such a mind doesn't know itself, it doesn't know where it's going and it doesn't know what it's doing. That without inquiry, without observation, and care and interest, the mind is primarily subjected to its own patterns and tendencies, that the degree of choice is hardly existing at all, and the mind itself is simply carried along in life by the various flow of events. And in being carried along in that way, the very fact of being carried along means that the mind lives and continues to live in a state of blindness and in a state of ignorance. And that's a fairly pervasive fact of life, one might say, a fairly, ba fairly basic fact of hum human existence. And to actually make steps such as coming here and, to, and other facilities or with the inner inquiry to change that requires an unprecedented degree of devotion. Because the challenge to oneself and to one's whole mental pro processes is in, in a very full and total way to look totally at everything in one's life. And in that there is no there is no shortcut, there's no easy route, and one is going against the mainstream of both personal conditioning and social conditioning. And so taking the step away from the forms of mind which we are familiar with to one of looking again and looking again and looking again and yet again, as I say, requires an unprecedented expression of devotion to that looking. That unprecedented expression of that means that the, that the human being who is willing to commit himself herself to that, is making a step away from the normal forms of acceptance to one of inquiry and understanding. And the, sh the degree of difference between that is, is that much of what we know and much of what we accept is more or less what we have actually come to believe. And so we, we often are in this 
unhappy, happy, unhappy state in our life of having forgotten the original source of the information and the knowledge which we have. And we, in our foolishness and naivety, in the course of our existence, tend to take things as what we know, as what I know. And we forget that the cause for that knowledge didn't actually start or originate with ourselves, but actually came outside of ourselves, and we have assumed it to be our own. And this expression of this blindness and, and ignorance is so far spread and so far reaching that so often, again and again, you and I keep living our life thinking, I know, I see, I understand, when in fact we don't. What we have got is imitation. What we have got is other people's inf information. What we have got is a kind of conglomeration of facts and falsehoods which we have internalized and we reproduce about anything. And to actually find ways and means in our life to, to, to live radically different from all of that means, as I mentioned, all things which we assume in any way come up for questioning, come up for inquiry, to see what we ourselves inwardly can discover for ourselves not because somebody else has told us something coming out of ourself. And that discovery of something for oneself clearly is called insight. Now we're now coming to a situation like here, here it's a peculiar amalgam of things. A, pu a peculiar one insofar as here you and I, to some degree, are moving away from the familiar, moving away from the various fluctuations of information and accumulations of facts and, and falsehoods and endeavouring to inquire to come to some insight and un understanding which isn't in any way second-hand, trying to see and discover. Now, in coming to that, the peculiarity of the situation is that there is a person, myself, um, John, who is talk, giving talks. There is a certain emphasis on the forms and the structure. There is a certain kind of daily ritual taking place of sitting and walking, and those messages are getting extended out to us. In, the, in that extension of those messages, there are some things which one comes to see and uh, accept, and some things which one comes to hear and 
uh, believe in, and to some degree or other, that acts as a kind of useful support for one's practice. But, with, but within, within that ac- activity, of course, again we get this peculiar situation that there are some things we begin to believe in, begin to uh, accept, and they go unquestioned. And so one hears varying messages, I mean varying messages from teachers as an, as an example, varying messages from traditions, varying messages from non-traditions, and at any given time in our listening we can say, yes, I accept this. No, I don't accept that. Yes, I accept this. And sometimes too, of course, some of the things which we accept or re- reject correspond to our experience. So what happens inside and what we hear outside has a certain meeting place. But the peculiarity of all this is, in this respect, that one's experience of one thing which one validates at one time Time goes by, one changes, one inwardly changes, and one sees in a different way. And then what is one going to do? Understand? You, 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 you listen to somebody. Somebody, you, you, you come to a meditation center, it has the, the background of a certain tradition, the tradition says to you, Keep watching impermanence. Very helpful, very valuable practice. One helps to reduce some of the conglomerations of mind and body. Helps to loosen, open up, up the mind. Helps to see into the nature of things at the, at the relative level more clearly. Someone says to you, keep, keep observing that the, the factor of the suffering element there. And there tends to be rather... Um, strong emphasis in this I notice in Buddhism but I don't think it's um, being particularly Buddhist to keep watching suffering all day but anyway the message goes through and so well, there's one's experience one, one experiences the fact of this, uh, this pain this discomfort, the suffering and one watches it and goes in, into it and all the variations and subtleties of what that is. And it can certainly be very important to look at that. Certainly very important to see the impermanence of things. And, one, and the time goes by in that observation and there's no end, this is important now, there's no end in life to our capacity in life to keep seeing that phenomena as an actuality in life throughout the entire journey of spirituality. There's no end to the variations of that, the depths of that, the subtleties, the grossness of that, and one can develop a practice which just exclusively concentrates on it. And with the accompanying factor, of course, that instead of seeing self and... uh, as something very personal, an ego, as something very personal, whether rigid or changing, 
that one sees more as not-self, more as an impersonal phenomena which is occurring, not seeing things in a personal way of mind and body. And again, in looking at those characteristics of existence, it is possible for us just to keep seeing one's practice, just to look at one's practice in that way and think, this is the practice. This is all there is to do. Now when that happens, there may be, for a period of time, a love of the practice. You know, there's, there's an, an observation taking place there. There is a real inquiry taking place, which one is really looking into these things, these facts of existence, so that you and I are not denying what's occurring, but very, very easily in spirituality. The same things which one has been looking at for a sustained period of time, the love and the interest in that can fade out. You're still observing it. You're still looking at impermanence. You're still seeing unsatisfactoriness. You're still seeing the, the ephemeral nature of this alleged real self or, or whatever. But it's doing it because the mind has been trained. One has trained one's mind to look in that way. So something which one has looked at for a period of time and that period of time can be from one moment to ten years, or to years, the training to look at that, sometime or other, the love for that may go out. The interest, the vitality for that may go out, and what one is left with is a repetitious kind of activity. Because the interest and the, and the inquiry which accompanies that interest isn't alive inside of oneself. So what is valid in one period of time, we're just using conventional now, what is valid in one period of time becomes invalid in another period of time. But objectively, objectively, it is difficult to, to see clearly because objectively, these characteristics of existence keep occurring whether we are watching them or not. So somehow or other, if the message to you is keep watching or the message is to you don't keep watching, that's just what something you identify with and believe in outside of yourself. That's where total devotion to watching becomes essential because you only can decide. You only have to see what the facts, is, facts are for you where, where for you the love of the practice is. Let us, take an, let us take another area, a very, a very, very common, common area in people's practice, and I'm particularly addressing now people who are, 
have engaged in long-term practice as well as people who have just come because what's happening here is in our mind and what's happening on the other side of that street which is euphemistically called Pleasant Street is no, is no different. That in, that in other areas too, here we, we hear particular messages. The messages come, come across to us. There's a validity in the message. It's based on the person's experience and the person's perception. But we have to see for ourselves. And one of the messages which comes across, and particularly in the tradition and the practice that uh, is familiar to us here, is this whole area of the mind moving, taking formation, and the wanting of, the desire for. And that takes formation, and sometimes when we're very much in touch with ourselves, we do see how deeply that comes. If a person has developed in their practice a capacity to really let go of the thinking pattern, not just a, a, a few quiet moments, but really has let go of that thinking activity, so that the mind isn't so much obscured by that. What happens is that, inwardly speaking, we begin to see those the depths, shall we say, of those kind of subtle movements of mind taking expression in the form of wanting and desire. Even just to move your hand to pick your plate up. One begins to see the, 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 the mind which is taking action and expressing itself through the body, through speech, through thought. And one sees it, one almost can feel that in the, in, in, in the recesses of, of the cells. Because one has to that a certain background of calmness which in a way accentuates the clarity that desire or wanting is manifesting inside of oneself and one wants something. So relative to our background, meditative background, receptivity background, sensitivity background, we begin to see this taking place. But then the message has been coming across to us, the message coming across to us, oh, practice is to, desire causes suffering, therefore get rid of one's desire. I mean, it's the obvious solution. Nobody wants to suffer. Desire causes suffering. Therefore, be free from desire. You know, if, if one takes that in actual literal terms, one is in a hell of a mess. <laughs> because if you move to do anything, well, that's a desire. And if you don't move, then you desire to keep still. <laughs> So, that, so yet there's this, there's this expression. There is the expression of this message which is being put out to us, which we as teachers put out. Watch, what, please watch the desire. Please be, be in touch with, with the desire. And so there comes this, as it were, the cloudy issue. And one, sometimes when the issue isn't cloudy, it's desire is bad, desire must stop. And there's an active rejection of that. So the desire is taking the form of wanting to get rid of the desire. And the mind is caught in that conundrum, is trapped in that. 
trying to get rid of one's desire. And so then there must come, surely, intelligently, there must come in oneself some inquiry in some inside of oneself with regard to the formation of the desire, the content of the desire and where and where it's leading. And so out of one's observation, out of one's looking at that, then we can begin to see what's what's what form of the, is the desire is it emerging? But we have too with, within us many things inside of ourself, our conditioning of course, which rejects automatically some forms of desire. And it's, and it's, in, and it's the inquiry which can, and the love for inquiry which can bring about some understanding. Let me give an example. In one's sitting practice, or in one's walking, or in one's daily life, the desire for sex comes up. It's a phenomenally common desire. Ah, <laughs> oh, touch the buttons there. Right, all right, okay. So, so the, there, there is one engaged in uh, one's activity. The mind moves. One feels it in one's body, one feels that energy, sexual energy, coming alive inside of oneself with the kind of imagery either of past or of present or anticipated, which emerges through the system, the cells of the body, the energy begins to move. And, so, and the message has been, cut it off. Get back to your breathing as quick as you can, you know, whatever. <laughs> And so, so there, there is the formation which is taking place. And with, within that, there is, tends to be with us a certain reaction against that. That reaction which takes place is part of that conditioning. It, 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 it comes up as a phenomenon within that conditioning. And, with, and, and it's as though, in a way, there's a certain almost might it's a goodness of heart wishing in, with which one wishes to work with something which is occurring, something which one sees as troublesome to my practice, something which I could do without, something which I don't want to be trapped in. And the only way that we know is to reject it. And we can reject it by putting it down, reject it by willpower, reject it by being with the breathing as another subtle form of rejection. And so this is actually expressing the difficulty that we have in understanding ourselves as people. And that's what I mean when I said at the beginning of the talk that Human beings without inquiry live helplessly and don't know it, and that is the great, the great sadness. So we now, now looking and, and uh, in, in our inquiry, now our looking 
perhaps that phenomena, perhaps that phenomena of desire, of the sexual desire, the fantasy which, which occurs, perhaps within that field of activity there's also something else happening which enables us to look at it in, a, in another caring way, in a caring way, in a more sensitive way to this kind of expression. The kind of expression that somehow there may be the wish to express affection in life. There's often within the, the movement of the desire and the, and the desire for communication, the desire for for touch, an expression, an active expression of affection there. There's a feeling of love for, and the mind in its particular position that it is in, sees, often unconsciously of course, that the, the way that, or the only way that one can communicate this affection for another is through sexuality because in that form the imagery itself is most clear and abundant. It's the most obvious way in human personal relationships that the visual aspect can manifest. Understand? Now very easily we, 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 we we reject it in its totality and, we, and in that we're not acknowledging to our, ourselves, our humanity, and in that regard, our sexuality. Now, in our exploration and in our, in our inquiry to look more carefully, once again, on predescended devotion to looking, and now looking, the, when, with looking with care and with interest at what is happening, that movement which takes place, it's not that one says, as a result of looking, it goes away, but the expression of it, begin, it begins to feel differently. It doesn't feel, even with the imagery present, and we've, even with the flow of the um, mental, physical energy which can accompany it, it doesn't feel like it is something to be rejected. It doesn't feel gross, in other words. And with that sense of that, and that uh, sensitive uh, awareness and observ observation towards that looking, one feels that that too, that area too, which one used to reject and put down and try to cut off in one's spiritual practice, is something which we can look at and accommodate into our field of life. Because when we don't acknowledge, when we, in this area, the field of sexuality, our feelings and our images and so forth, when we don't accept that, one notices very easily that in the cutting of it off, in whatever form that cutting off may take, it 
the mind undergoes some other form of pressure and it comes out in another way. Sometimes aggression, of course, sometimes guilt feelings, of course, and a very, and a very noticeable one in the spiritual realm when one isn't comfortable with one's sexuality is in the form of power often expresses of an uncomfortable relationship with one's sexuality, either whether a person, as is fairly fashionable with um, some of the gurus, has likes to have lots of sexual relationships, or whether the person is just holding it down and maintaining a celibate, in, uh, a celibate lifestyle while inside the mind is t in torture. So, you know, so in giving care and attention to these areas, it's not so much precepts versus desire, stopping this or, or for that, but it's that love and interest to, to explore and find out what that means for you and I in the way of balance and harmony. And that isn't easy. But the other is far more difficult. As the spiritual practice develops and as we, as we learn to look and to inquire and to, and to see what all these areas of, of life mean, there also comes about in the course of that journey, in one's relationship to the field of spirituality and, and religion too, a certain awareness and balance is equally required. And when I say equally required, means that if, if it is such that every stone has to be turned up to look at it inside of ourself and our relationship to life, that sometimes means also our relationship to things which are very, very familiar to us in the field of spirituality. There's no place, I don't feel there's any place where you and I in our life are going to have to be able to come to a point and say, well, I've done it, I've, I've reached completion. Because anyone who says that or promotes that in any form whatsoever upholds that simply has not understood because to bring something to completion means one has made something finite. And truth is never that. But you and I have to find this out for ourselves. You and I have to say, if, if I come to, the, to an end and I make it an end in, in any way, therefore, it's limited because there's a finiteness, that finiteness there. Now, when one comes into the field of the, of the spiritual life, one of the questions which arise in any sustained meditation practice, and one which um, I have a frequency of conversations about, 
is the whole area of the practice, the forms, the methods, the techniques. Having assumed that a person has explored to some degree their experiences, has experienced a reasonable range of mind from noisy and restless and confused and tired to a little bit more calm to a steady and still mind to, to one which is sublimely sensitive and balanced, having, as it were, gone through a, a reasonable spectrum of that activity, within that activity and the sustaining of that, that activity, we sometimes, hopefully, begin to question. And we might find ourselves questioning some of the methods and the techniques and the importance of them and the significance of them, having explored them. And it is a very important aspect, that inquiry. An inquiry which lends itself not to oneself submitting, but to oneself developing a spiritually independent attitude in which this unprecedented observation and looking at is not going to stop anywhere. Now, in that, that, in, that in that development of that, the difficulty with inquiry at any level in life is that inquiry is frequently very unsettling. This is the trouble with it. It's no wonder that human beings don't want to inquire too much. You know, is it, well, no, I won't lose the theme. <laughs> so one can go along a particular course, which is a prescribed course of observation. That prescribed course of observation helps definitely to bring some more clarity, some more insight, some more more understanding, and yet when there is some inquiry, some of that sublimeness, some of that peace and quiet of mind, some of that steadiness of mind which one has so assiduously cultivated, suddenly starts to be threatened. Because something inside of the deeper recesses of one's being even in stillness, can emerge and says, well, this isn't enough. And one says, oh, desire. I'm never satisfied. Even when, when, there's, when something is happening, I'm not satisfied. When little is happening, I'm not satisfied. And now even when nothing's happening, I'm st still not satisfied. And so there is these murmurings, but in the subtlety of that development of the depth and the, and the seeing of these movements of mind, one can begin to see more clearly what 
is a certain investigative discontent. And what is just an agitation of mind, which in that settling in which has taken place, something has come out as a, in the expression of an agitation about something. Now the characteristic of that coming to um, greater stillness, that everything, almost across the board, one would say, begins to feel to be more gross. So the questioning may be, well, the methods and techniques, they don't seem so important. They seem unnecessary. They seem quite extra. And the fact is, in that sublimeness, they are extra. Even the form of the walking, the form of the sitting, the form of the breathing, the form of the, the going through the body, the form of the mind and its patterns, all seems somewhat superfluous. But sometimes people hear that and they say, oh yes, of course it is. But it's just believing it. It's just something which one has heard from somebody else. And one has memorized and brings it up as a, as a weapon against method and technique and reaction. And that hasn't come out of inquiry or insight. It's come out of hearing and believing And the quality of inquiry and insight is, when you see for yourself, it is so different. Now, in that course, this, at more subtle levels, this is when it gets more important. In the course of that going to more subtle, more subtlety, and some of the inquiry, the discontent, as a valid expression, begins to come up and come out, because you and I have patterns, it's not unusual that we, in that, we react against it. Do you understand? There's one thing it's coming up and one sees the limitations of something. The limitation of the form, the structure, the religion, the, all, all the apparatus of it and all the subtleties of that, of method and techniques. One thing to see the limitation but very easily, in our own pure experience there, the reaction takes place. And that reaction which takes place against something makes a division in the mind. And therefore, we're looking at life from a prejudiced viewpoint. And that is a narrow viewpoint, and a narrow viewpoint is not the viewpoint with vision. So when one then sees, okay, there's, here I'm experiencing a reaction to something. I don't need to do that, I don't need to do this, etc., etc. And then when because one has developed one's practice, one says, right, I'm experiencing this reaction. It doesn't matter what it's about. 
or who it's about, or what the, what the content of one's reaction is. And what one is protesting about in one's reaction may be completely valid. One may really see the limitation of, the, of, a, of a narrow emphasis in the spiritual life. But you and I can't be, waste too much time being concerned about the source of the information. We haven't got time to waste on that. We haven't got time to waste on the source of the tradition or the source of the message or whatever. Life is too short with trying to patch up this world. But rather, we see, what's my reaction to it? That's more significant for us as spiritual beings. Seeing the reaction of that reduces the impact on the form. If I just look at my hand like this, I see the form of it. If I go like that, the impact on that hurts. It affects me. And in our way, with our reaction to method, technique, form, etc., etc., in a way, we reinforce the sensation of it. We reinforce the impact of it. Are we, are we all right? Are we all still flowing along? Okay, we reinforce enforce that. Therefore, in our, in our coming to deeper levels of our being, it's just important now learning to see something just as it is without that reaction. Even though it's a valid form of self-expression, because one sees the limitation. And that seeing of that form more clearly, form of the mind, form of the thought, the form of the, of the style, of the structure, etc., etc., that seeing of that more clearly, the mind must settle in much more. In, that, in the mind settling into itself much more, and again, through the rhythm and the experience of the day, because one knows that one's not reacting so strongly, one is seeing the form, one must, by implication, let us say, begin to, to see the space with the form. Remember, remembering in, in this, we're, trying, we're, we're developing a, a spiritual way of life which is not dependent so much on beliefs, not dependent on anything outside. Spirituality is a sustained, unbroken inquiry into life and its actuality for us. Not anybody else or anything else, but how it, how it expresses. And the common, say, experience in the love of inquiry is that the element of space begins to register more and more in one's life. If you and I, as an example, are not reacting to the form around us right now, 
and we're just using our physical eyes just to see around us, as, we, as our eye casts to the form which is around, we see the space as well. We become corresponding aware of the complementary factor of these two. Spiritually, inwardly speaking, now not reacting to life, yet not avoiding from it, is such that the elements of space, whether and form, or inwardly speaking, begin to register more clearly for us. This registration of the form and the form and the space means that in one's practice one tends very easily to go, deepening the practice enhances more the sense of space and when the practice is not so deep, then there's more the sense of form, form of the mind, form which is around us, and there's a certain separation between these two. And sometimes, given the life, given the flow of our energy, you can be sitting and it feels extraordinarily clear. Really, really sense, sense of space. You don't feel so tight, so restricted. And... And there's a real feeling of settling in. There's no wish to move, no wish to do anything, because, as it were, that involves form. That involves activity. And, and it's just being present and, and with that, that sense of space. The energy begins to fade, it begins to diminish, as it must. And with that, the, set, the form, the world, begins to register itself more strongly, more noticeably. And we find our polarity of, to some degree or other, either going back and forth between the two. And sometimes, as I say, it's just the energy diminishing or the very space has discharged, has released some form, emotional form, thought form, whatever it might be. But there's still the difference. And because there is still the difference, the mind is attracted to that which feels more clear, comfortable and spacious, and the mind wishes to move away from that which is not so clear. And so our practice begins to move along this long spectrum of activity between one and the other. By the nature, with effort and sometimes without. And one must ask oneself, is spirituality and the deeper inner inquiry and the meditative experience, does it simply rest in that movement and, and along those various stages and finding certain resting points at different places? Does it rest just there? If there is a love of practice and there is the inquiry there, this you must see for yourself. You must discover for yourself. Enough for today.
may all beings live with observation. May all beings live with inquiry. May all beings discover expansiveness. <laughs>